Well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here with us, and it is a beautiful, warm day outside. Uh, on your way out, make sure we got Ramiro's taco truck, and there's some dessert truck, ice cream something coming, so it's a great day for ice cream, and so make sure and stop out there in the back of the parking lot and hit up the food trucks. We'll have those for a few more weeks out here for you guys. Um, uh, uh, obviously, Rusty's leading. Rusty's going to be leading for the next eight to ten weeks. Uh, but we did get a picture this morning uh, from Justy and their family in Africa. And so that's there. They're right there. And they're there with uh, Lola and Joseph's over there in the corner. And so they are doing well. And they will be over there um, in country for at least about six, seven more weeks. And they'll be making their way back to America. So if you don't know, that's our worship leader. And him and his, do- or him and his, wa- his daughter, him and his wife, <laughs> Justy, have uh, adopted uh, two kids. And they're adopting two more um, from over there in Malawi. And so they're doing well, though, and we'll keep giving you guys updates on that. Lots of stuff coming up. Make sure and download the app. It's the best way to stay connected. Obviously, day, next week is Memorial Day weekend, which means half of you won't be here. So enjoy the lake, all right, uh, for the rest of us. <laughs> and I'll be here, and uh, we'll get to give away something fun. It's going to be, we're going to give away something just because you're not here. So anyway, um, so yeah, if you're online, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, you could always tune in online or listen to the podcast later or whatever, or watch it later on Facebook or YouTube. Now, we are starting a new series today I'm super excited about. Uh, we're going to be talking about this idea for the next three to four weeks, um, and it's the idea of prestige. Now, prestige is one of these words that we use in our culture. Uh, we think about this word as things being um, often prestigious, and so we want a prestigious award. We have these prestigious achievements. Uh, it can be a, a, a tagged onto places you live or cars you drive, and essentially the idea is that there's these things in life that are kind of coveted, and we want these things, and we chase after these things because they're prestigious. And, and so we use this word. It's this word that we're very common with in our language. But then in 2006, I watched a movie. And in this movie, Wolverine and Batman become magicians, okay? Um, now, that's a joke. It's obviously um, anything that Hugh Jackman is in, I'm, I just consider him Wolverine because he was Wolverine. If you didn't know, you should catch up on pop culture. But anyway, uh, so in like Les Mis, it was Wolverine fighting the French Revolution. You know, in uh, The Greatest Showman, it was Wolverine started a circus. You know, it's just always Wolverine to me. And then uh, Batman, uh, Christian Bell played it. Now, they are these um, magicians. And in this movie, um, they're trying to outwit each other to come up with the greatest magic trick of all times. Now, the reason the movie is called The Prestige is because of this. In Latin, the word prestige actually means illusion. It means to deceive. And it got me thinking about this idea that we we think about our lives, we have all of these things that we chase after and we invest so much in, awards and celebrations and where we live and cars we drive because we want people to think that we have like this prestigious life where it's this thing to be attained. And the reality is that in the root of the word, it comes from this idea that it's really just deception. And what happens and made me think about it, is so many of us, we spend so much time chasing after things because we believe that if we can attain these things, then they'll give us meaning and fulfillment in life only to find out, as we often know is true, when we actually achieve those things, it's not as great as we thought. And we spend a lot of time investing it. I'm a big you know, Green Bay Packers fan. I'm actually an owner. Sorry for the rest of you guys. But um, we got this guy named Aaron Rodgers who's just really giving me a headache right now. But several years ago, he won a Super Bowl. And after the Super Bowl, they were interviewing him in Sports Illustrated. And he said, after winning like the crowning achievement for his life and as a football player, he said, I hope there's something else. 
Because all of this time and energy and effort he had put into this thing, but then when he actually achieved it, he realized it actually didn't fulfill him as much as he thought. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of things that we often put in our lives that we think are just going to solve everything and fix everything, but sometimes we have to realize it's really just an illusion, that maybe it's not as prestigious as we once thought. Now, to start this conversation, I want to actually talk about faith, because I think what happens is that for a lot of us, we go on this journey in faith, and we think we know how it works, we think we know what's going on, and then life happens. Let me, let me say it like this, okay? Let me ask this question. Have you ever got frustrated with God because things weren't working out the way that you thought they should? Yeah, we should all be saying yes to that one, because we all do. And I think part of that is we misunderstand how it's supposed to look in our life after we step into a life of faith. Now, the good news is this isn't a new problem. See, I think for some of us, we thought that once we came to faith or once we put Jesus in our life, that everything was going to be fixed, everything was going to work out, and maybe you were told that. But then after you accept Jesus in your life, right, your kids are still your kids, right? Sometimes your spouse is still your spouse, your job is still your job, the bills still have to be paid. And so it's not all that we had always thought, that everything was just going to be smooth afterwards. But this is not a new problem. There's these, this book in the Bible, it's called the book of Psalms, and it's literally these songs that they would often sing and poems and stuff like that. And we also often attribute it all to being written by David, but David probably only wrote a small part of it, and even the parts that he wrote were probably inspired by other people. And there's this one psalm in Psalm 73 it's probably one most of you didn't even know existed or probably haven't read. Um, and, and it's this interesting psalm because I think it brings to light this struggle that we often have when it comes to our faith and thinking everything is going to work out, but also this illusion that we often have that if we had what other people had, then things would actually be better. And so it's this struggle of trying to understand faith and how it applies to life and how it applies to how we relate to other people and oftentimes how we actually feel about ourselves. And, and so in Psalm 73, there's this guy named Asaph, and he's going to write this psalm. And this would often be a song that they would sing on the way to the temple or maybe in the temple, which would be like their church setting. And the way he starts this psalm is interesting. In verse 1, he says this, God is truly good to Israel, to those who have pure hearts, but I had almost stopped believing and I'd almost lost my faith. Now, let's leave that up there for a second. Um, so he starts off with this interesting idea. He's going to say that God is good. Now, we want to believe that God is good. We want to understand that. That kind of becomes the, the starting point of most of our faiths, understanding God is good. And to those that have pure hearts, that he's good. But then there's this other problem, is that you say, okay, I understand that God is good, okay, but I'd almost stopped believing and it almost lost my faith. Has anybody been there? Where you want to believe this idea that God is good and you, you want to hold on to these things. These are things that you've been taught and these are maybe some things you've experienced in your life. But you want to believe that God is good, especially if you have this pure heart. Um, but the reality is, is that there's often things in life that butt up against that and make it hard to believe. See, some of you in this room, you've gone through really hard things. You've gone through hard things that have happened in your body. You've gone through hard things because of relationships in your life. Some of you, your whole life, it just seems like things are stacked against you, from your parents to your school to all of the different things that we often ascribe to in life to try to be successful. It just hasn't worked out the way that you'd hoped. And so you want to believe as God is good, but then there's also all of these downfalls, right? God is generous, but you're hungry. 
God is a God who forgives, but you feel so guilty. And we want to believe that God is good, but let's be honest. Sometimes we look at the world and we look at our lives and it just feels like it's bad. And if God is good, then why can't God do something about the bad? Now, we're about to find out why Asaph almost lost his faith and and, and why he's struggling. And and here's why. Verse 3. Because I was jealous of proud people, I saw wicked people doing well. Now, isn't that really honest? It's this idea of, of, of these people. And I think Jennifer, is verse four and five we can show too. It says this, they are not suffering. They are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. Do you know anybody like this? Where it seems like you're trying to do so good, Right? And you're trying to eat all of your vegetables and all that stuff, and you're trying to be right, and you're trying to do right, and say the right things, and be nice to people, and not cuss, and all that good stuff that you were told is important, right? And you're trying to do all that, and yet you got this person that isn't trying to do anything right, is a not nice person, is a jerk, is greedy, all of these things, and you're struggling, and everything seems to be working out for them. Anybody ever felt that before? How about this? Do you know a person in your life that's made bad choice after bad choice after bad choice and has left a trail, right, behind them that everybody sees and everybody's aware of? And yet now you look at your life and their life and their life actually is working out pretty well. And you're sitting there and you're going, but I've tried to do good. I've tried to do the right thing. See, see this is not a new problem. And so here you have this guy, and he's like, look, I've tried to do everything right. And it doesn't seem to be working out very well. And yet I see all of these other people who just choose to live their life however they'd like and do whatever they like, and it seems like things are actually going pretty well for them. Anybody ever been there? And so what happens is there's this moment where his heart kind of becomes empty and He's losing his faith because, you know, here's the thing. Nobody wants to envy jealous or proud people, right? We hate jealous and proud people, right? But when they're the people that are living the life that we wish we could live, then all of a sudden our natural response is to be jealous and envious. And, and Asaph hates this because he hates this in himself. And like there's all these pronouns. I'm not going to read you the whole chapter. It's, it's a fascinating chapter of the Bible and, and Psalm, but... He's, at first, he's using verses like me and I and I was because he's understanding this is the problem in him, that he's seeing these other people and he's seeing this, this ugliness in himself. He, he goes on to say, it's not going to come on the screen, but he says this. He says, they are not suffering. They are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. They do not control their selfish desires. They get whatever they want. They're not even hiding. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't control their selfish desires. They make fun of people, and they speak evil proudly. They brag to the heavens. Their mouths are filled with gossip. And so what he's seeing is is not new. I mean, this is still going on. I mean, you see people in our culture today that are not good people, right, that have power and prominence, right? I mean, have you ever heard of a politician, right? You look at these people and you're like, how did these become the best choices that we have, right? And yet this is kind of the way the world seems to work. 
And so Asaph is in this place because he's like, look, it seems like the wicked are getting richer and having better lives and and, and I'm trying to do this right. And, and so now he's at this crisis of faith where, you know, he thought that if he did it this way, everything was going to work out. And he's doing the right thing, and it seems like he's the one at a disadvantage. And I think this is an important conversation because I think part of the journey of faith that we all experience is this. See, we believe once we choose Jesus that we will have a huge advantage in life, right? And so you come to Jesus, and because you come to Jesus, you're just going to win from here on out, right? And because you have Jesus in your life, everything is going to work out. Have you been in the real world, right? See, what happens so oftentimes is when we follow Jesus, there's this idea of what it's going to be, and there's this idea of what people tell us it's going to be like, but then we get into the real world, and we're trying to do the right thing, and these people aren't doing the right thing, and it feels like in this world, in this system, they're getting ahead, and we can't cut the corners they can cut. We can't say the things that they can say. We can't do some of the things that they can do to get ahead because we realize that's not helpful in the people that God wants us to become. And what happens if you're not careful is is you'll become bitter. And you're not going to become bitter to them, although that's part of it, but you actually can become bitter towards God. I wonder how much of your joy that you could have and how much of your happiness and how much of your fulfillment, how much of your satisfaction in life and the life that you could have in God has actually been stolen because you can't keep your eyes off of others. See, see, this is where Asaph is, and he's going to admit this in a minute. See, the reason he doesn't understand how important it is, this connection with him and God, is because he's not looking at the connection between him and God. All he's looking at is what everybody else seems to have. One of the things I think fascinating, and I'll just be honest real quick with you guys. Um, hopefully, I don't get in too much trouble. But um, see, I think what happens to me is when I live my life the way that I think God wants me to live, and then when I see other people choosing to do what everybody else just wants to do and there's no, seems no consequences, don't you just want God to show up and just punish everybody? You guys, can, can we be honest, right? Like, we pretend like we want God to love everybody. You don't, right? You really, you really honestly don't. You want God to love you, and you want God to be merciful to you, but when it comes to other people, let's just be honest, we want justice and we want, we want wrath, right? We like that Old Testament God, right? You know, <laughs> smite some people, you know? We just don't want it for us. And so this is this thing where, where ASAP, and, and he's at least, and this is, I think, what's really important for us as Christians is, is self-understanding and self-reflection and self-awareness. And he's got self-awareness because here's what he realizes. He's mad because God's not stopping bad people from having a good time. That's what he's mad about. And he's mad because he feels like he's at a disadvantage. Now, now Asaph, to give you a little background, he lived during the time of King David, and he was considered the chief of all the songs, 
which essentially makes him the worship leader. Like he's the guy that gets up and, and tries to inspire people. He's entrusted with the heart of God. And, and so got to think about this, that he's considered this man that, that his job is to experience the presence of God on such an extraordinary level. His jo- job is to literally get in the presence of God and to sit there and to dwell there. And we know that he's able to do that because as we read the Psalms, we see some of these moments that he has with God, these things that you all would kill for, these things that you guys would pay big money for, right? See, see, all of us, here's what we want. We want experiences with God. And we want to go to conferences and we want to go to Christian concerts and we want to go to church and have these experiences with God on such an extraordinary level that it doesn't challenge our faith. And here's the thing. Asaph has that anytime he wants I mean, imagine having that much of a connection with God and still being jealous of what other people that don't have God actually have. And this is where he's at. And so he has to ask some questions because he's on this adventure of faith and and he's got to figure out why is it. And and here's a big thing, just so you know this. One of the principles that, that me and my wife talk about when it comes to our marriage, but everything else, see, When I get angry at somebody else, here's the first thing you should ask. What is it in me that's making me so angry at them? Like, what's in me? And so here's what he has to say in verse 13. He says, so so I've got all this bitterness. I've got all this rage. I've got all this unfair stuff that seems to go on. And he says this, so why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I kept my hands from doing wrong? Right? Right? Well, why? And that's the question he has to ask himself is why this? And so he goes into this. He says this, I have suffered all the day long. Sorry, verse 14, Jennifer. Every morning I've suffered. And God, if I had decided to talk like this, I would have let your people down. I tried to understand all of this, but it was too hard for me. And so here's what's interesting. He's focusing on other people. And so he has this conundrum he has to figure out. And so he's working through this and he's like, okay, so I have to keep my heart pure. I have to keep my hands from doing wrong. Um, But here's what he's going to say. I have suffered all the day long. I have been punished every morning. Yeah. Do you know what Asaph's job was every single morning? His job every morning was to enter into the presence of God. That was his job. So like his whole thing is like he doesn't have to go into the office and sit next to Carl, you know, because Carl stinks, right? He doesn't have to sit next to Carl. He doesn't have to go in and deal with a bunch of kids. He doesn't have to do any of that. His job is every morning to go and be in the presence of God. And did you hear what he just said? Why do I have to suffer every morning? At least he's honest, right? And see, here's the problem is because what he's realizing is he's got his eyes focused on the wrong thing. He has the gift that all of us, or most of us, I should say, in this room wishes that we had, the ability to be in the presence of God. And we're going to come back to that here in a minute. But he feels like he's punished every single morning. And here's why. The greatest gift that God could give you, which is his presence, will seem like a curse if you want the wrong things. Did you know that? To, to do what God wants will seem like a curse. And here's the thing, and this is what he's struggling with, is to want everything in the world no matter the cost, but then to also want God, you may walk away with neither because your heart will be torn between the two. 
And this is where he's at. This is like as real as it gets. I've suffered all the day long. I've punished every morning. Um, and here's what he also says, and I love this, and this is, this is so good for us. He says, if I decided to talk like this, I would have let everybody down. And so here's the age-old thing, ready? And this is why this is an important conversation on many levels. What he just admitted is what most of us need to admit. The reason we don't talk about our doubts is because we're afraid of what other people will think. And here is the leading psalmist, the chief of the songs, whose entire job is being in the presence of God, and he's going, I'm struggling with some of this stuff. I tried to understand all this, but it was too hard to see. And I'm telling you, there will be moments in your life, in your life of faith, where it will be hard to see. And it may not be because of jealousy of other people. It may be because of other circumstances going on. It may be because you can't make sense of life. It may be all of these things. And part of the problem is this, is that when it comes to faith, and even ASAP's faith, and even some of our faith, here's what you have to understand. So much of our faith is rooted to what God can, will, and might do in our lives, which isn't a bad thing. But so little of our faith is actually rooted to who God actually is. Do you know that? See, see your faith, the, the fluctuation of your faith going up and down is dependent on what you feel like God is doing good in your life. It's not often as much tied to just the presence of who God actually is. And see, Asaph, this is what he's realizing. He's saying, I'm allowing what's happening in my life and what I perceive you doing or not doing too much to be the guide of my faith. Rather than the fact that every day I get to be in the presence of God. And here's why this is really important when it comes to the journey of faith. Are you ready for this? I hate to burst your bubble. There are going to be things in your life that happen that you will never understand. You will never understand them with God, and you will never understand them without God. And there are things in your life that will happen and you're not gonna get the answers that you wanted. And sometimes you're gonna feel like God should have done this and he didn't and I don't understand why he didn't do it. And so all of a sudden now all of this stuff is gonna happen. And remember what Asaph started, he says, God is good, but life is hard, life is bad. And so what he's going to realize here in a second is this, because if you don't realize this, you will move to bitterness and you will move to envy as quick as anybody else can. See, what he's having to realize is, and we're going to find this out. His faith needs to be tied to who God is more than it's tied to what I feel like God's doing for me. So why have I kept my hearts clean? Why have I kept my hands clean? In verse 17, here's, here's what it's going to be. I didn't understand any of it until verse 17, until I went to the temple of God, and then I understood <laughs> Now, what's interesting about this line, let's leave it up here, is see, so Asaph lives during the time of David. So what we understand about the time of David is this, there was no temple. Solomon, David's son, is going to come along and build the temple. So when he refers to the temple, what he's actually referring to is the idea of being in the presence of God. And so what he's saying is, I was confused about all of this until I actually went into the presence of God and I focused on the presence of God. Now, now, here's why this is important for us. How much time do you intentionally spend trying to get into the presence of God? Now, don't answer it out loud because it's going to be pitiful. I can already tell you that much, all right? How much time do you intentionally spend trying to get into the presence of God? And here's a better one. 
how much of God's presence do you actually invite into your life? Right? And so maybe the reason Asaph was so confused and maybe the reason so many of us are so confused in our faith sometimes and we struggle with this is because it's that idea of, well, what has God done for me lately? And if God's done something good for me lately, then I'm all in. But, 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 but here's the thing. How much of you spends time focusing on trying to be in his presence? See, I think what happens so oftentimes is rather than being in his presence or trying to be in his presence, which is kind of what the goal is, right? The reason he couldn't see and the reason we can't see is because when it doesn't feel like God's doing good for us, we look around at other people and we want to see if God's doing good for them. And we live in this world, but we've already acknowledged it. Asaph acknowledged it 2,500 years ago. It's the idea that it seems like all this bad stuff is happening. And so we get focused on what everybody else is doing rather than centering ourselves and focusing on who God actually is. See, we don't want to be caught into the illusion of the life among those who are merely existing. You know people like that? They're just merely existing. And it may be looking like it's working out for them, but they're just merely existing. Because what we know is when you're drawn into the belief of fame or wealth of success or power or pleasure will actually fulfill your soul, you know it's not true. It won't. It might be fun, and it might make you happy for a moment. We've stepped into the mirage. We've stepped into the illusion, the deception. And so what happens is Asaph has to step into God's presence and he has to change his perspective from looking around back to looking inward and ultimately looking up. Verse 21, he says this, when my heart was sad and I was angry, I was senseless and stupid, I acted like an animal towards you. You ever been like that? Where you realize how stupid you were? But see, he doesn't leave you there. See, in verse 23, he says this, but I am always with you. You have had my hand. You guide me with your advice. I don't think there's verse come up, sorry. You guide me with your advice, and later you will receive me in honor. I have no one in heaven but you. It's this fascinating idea, what he's talking about, the idea of that God is our center, that God is our peace. And see, here's what I think is really interesting as we kind of wrap up is this. See, I think part of the problem that we have is we don't experience the presence of God. What we believe is that one day we're going to die and go to heaven, and then we experience the presence of God. But what's interesting is what Asaph says right here is that I have no one in heaven but you, but, but he's not in heaven, he's, he's on earth. And so what he's talking about is he has this idea that, that in these moments when he's in the presence of God, and so he's changing the language. Are you ready for this? And what he's saying is that, that maybe the goal is to invite the presence of God, to invite whatever you think heaven is, into this world right here and right now. And that in these moments that you have these things, and by the way, this is what Jesus said. Do you, do you realize that? That Jesus talks about inviting heaven to earth, that the goal is to bring whatever's going on with whatever we think heaven is. To earth, that the idea is the whole journey of your intimacy with God is actually invoking this idea of bringing his presence here and now in your life. It's not about hoping for angels one day or streets of gold one day and all that stuff's good and we can talk about that another time, but what if the key to living the fullness of God in your life right now 
is the stepping into the beauty and wonder and presence of all of him today. And what if it's something you don't have to wait for? See, I think so many of us, we're, we're waiting for this presence of God in our life, but what if we realize that what really needs to happen is it's already waiting on us? And it's waiting on us to kind of have these moments where we step into it and we seek it out and we stop looking. Listen, if you compare yourself to other people, you will always be miserable. And the other thing that happens is when you're looking at other people's lives and what's happening with them, guess what? You can't focus on the future you have for you and the one that God has for you. He says this, he says, you are my mind and my body when I become weak, God is my strength. He's mine forever. And then he has this interesting line. He says, you are my portion. Now, their understanding of the word portion is this, is because food was something that was hard to come by often in their culture. And so their portion is this small cup, this small ration of food and drink, this morsel of food. It was the exact right amount to keep someone alive. And Asaph's saying, that's what you are to me, God. You're my portion. You're my strength. You're the thing that keeps me going. See, I think what Asaph realized that we have to realize is it's in these moments when we realize who God is and we step into his presence, we invite him into his presence and we stop looking around and we start looking up and we start looking in. Don't let moments steal from you what you could have in God. Don't let the problems or struggles or crises or challenges right in front of you blind you to the wonder and possibility that's before you. Don't let your temporary failure steal you from the success that God wants you to have. Don't let the defeat that is crushing you rob you from the victory that's awaiting you in him. I love how the writer says it. He says, it was too much to understand and I didn't until I was in his presence. And you know what's fascinating about that is he never says that he actually understands. But maybe he doesn't need to anymore. He doesn't need to understand why the world is the way that it is. He doesn't understand why the bad people seem to be having good. He doesn't, he says, he doesn't need to understand because when he's in the presence of God, that's all that matters to him. He's found his portion and he's found his strength. And it wasn't because of what God may or may not do. It's because of who he is. See, maybe the greatest illusion for a lot of us is we came into faith just, just hoping that all this stuff was going to work out, and then we get into it, and it doesn't. And maybe what needs to happen for some of us is we need to take the time and have some hard conversations with ourselves and ask ourselves, are we intentionally trying to get in the presence of God? Are we intentionally trying to look up and look in, or are we only looking around? Because if you're only looking around, it's never going to work out. But if we look to him and we look in ourselves and we find our strength, we find our portion in him, maybe our faith journeys will be different. Let's pray.